Hold on, hold on. Okay. There's so many things I have to take in mind before I talk. I've got to turn this on, take this off, make sure that's still on my face. Good to see you. Before you sit down, say hi to somebody. Okay? That camera's on. Rachel, if you want to wave, go ahead and wave. Say hi to everyone. Zow, zow. Now that you've said hi awkwardly, have a seat. You just going to hang out up here all morning? You're just going to, okay. Don't mind Dylan. He's just tuning. Don't, don't mind him at all. Dylan. <laughs> I got the microphone. He tried to, tried to be sarcastic in response, but that, yeah, that doesn't work. Good to see you all. Uh, thank you for coming out. Uh, what is that orange thing in the sky? Any ideas? I don't get it. It's not supposed to be out until like June, so we're a little early. Uh, my name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you for jumping up and down and that, that you're new with us. I, I, I enjoy your hair. It's, I, if I could have hair, it would be in a man bun as well. So it's fantastic. Thank you for bringing your hair and yourself with you. Uh, Hey, we are in the Shalom series. Uh, if, if you've been tracking with us, we are a few weeks in. And there's this phrase that's been popping up in my home that kind of framed this whole week of the Shalom series. I have a five-year-old, I have a two-year-old, and my wife and I will always say this phrase. And maybe you've said it too. It's not fair. You got that one? Have you said it? Uh, it's not fair that one child gets to watch the show and the other one doesn't. Well, if the other one would have did what he was told the first time, he wouldn't have this problem. Or it's, it's not fair that uh, my wife gets to go out with her friends and I don't, or, or vice versa. So we say these things over and over. It's not fair. This idea of fairness is coming out. When's the last time you said that in your, in your brain? It's not fair. What was, it, what was it in regards to? Someone got the day off that you didn't. Someone got the job and you didn't. Something happened that you were expecting and it didn't happen or it was taken from you. And that phrase, it's not fair, popped in your mind. It's not fair. My mom and dad, I, they used to yell at me whenever, not yell at me a lot. Sorry, mom, you're watching. But this, this, uh, this phrase would pop out of my mouth a lot. I was the youngest, so I was... I was the best one because uh, I came last. And so they stopped after me. And then so I would say that a lot. It's not fair. And either my mom or dad, depending on the one, they, they would give me this line. Uh, the world's not fair. Toughen up. That was my dad. And then my mom would say, you want fair? I'll show you fair. And then it was something that was completely not what I was expecting. That was probably the fairness coming out from mom. This idea of fairness from our early days, we're obsessed with it. We want fairness. And here's the reason. Within you now is your spirit. There's your body. You got a body. You're here. You're sitting in it. You have a soul, which is the way you think. It's your reason, your intellect, your will. How you decide things is through your soul. But at the core of you is a spirit. That is where the image of God sits. That's the part that can't get taken away. 
That's the part that in Genesis 1.27 it says this. For God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It says earlier that God breathed into man, Adam, the breath of life, and in so doing, created humankind in his image. The image of God is that breath that he breathed into us. Everyone take a breath. The breathing comes natural. The image of God comes natural to you. There's nothing you can do that would mar the image of God in you. Sure, we can cover it up with a bunch of layers, but the image of God always stays. No, not nothing else that was created had that tagline to go with its creation. All the dogs got, and we all love dogs because we're people and people love dogs, right? Okay, thank you. We got to pray for you. Uh, Dogs are great. Dogs did not get the image of God. Even though your dog might seem like it has a personality, cats don't. Cats are evil. But your dog has the image of God in it. The cats have the image of the other thing that was there in the Garden of Eden that we can't go into, named a serpent. But you can't erase the image of God that's in you. You were born with it. You were created with it. It's how we're built. In the image of God, we were created This is the idea where we get our morals. This is what C.S. Lewis talks about in Mere Christianity, where we get our morals, our ideas of fairness, our ideas of righteousness and goodness and justice. It all comes from this place where the image of God lays, with the image of God inside us. That's where it comes from. This is why it stings when you're driving down the road and you see someone being mistreated and you think, that's not right. This is why it hurts to watch people being marginalized because the image of God that's in you is crying out to the image of God that is in them and you're thinking no human fellow image bearer of God should ever be treated this way. This is the idea where we get justice. Justice is intrinsically tied together with the image of God, which is then tied together. So there's like three things tied together with a super strong rope with shalom. Justice or the pursuit of justice find its home, finds its home in shalom. And that rhymes and I didn't mean for it to rhyme, but I'm glad it did. Justice finds its home or its comfort with shalom. Shalom with God, shalom with ourselves, shalom with our families. Today we're talking about shalom with other people because shalom has to start somewhere. It starts between you and God. You have peace with God. God's no longer angry. Got it? Three weeks we've said that. Hopefully we start getting it. You don't have to prove yourself to God anymore. Then you, have, then you have shalom with your families because God can work things together for good because God takes evil that was done to you and makes it and weaves it into his story and redeems it. You have justice, you have shalom with your families. You have shalom with yourself because God is rebuilding your story and making him, taking away the shame and bringing you back into wholeness. So you have justice with God first with yourself, with your families, and then it starts to spill out into how we deal with each other. One time I got to use self-leveling concrete. Have anyone ever used self-leveling concrete? I knew you would say yes, and you, I've, yeah, okay. Uh, um, It was amazing, right? You pour it down, you mix it together, and you have, like it says in the bag, have to use it within 20 minutes or else it doesn't work. But you pour it down and you kind of spread it out, and it just kind of well, it does. It just levels the ground around you. 
It's this magic thing, and you don't need to spend a lot of time trying to work it out. It's not the strongest of concretes, but it levels the floor so you can then put a floor on or put tile on or whatever you need to do. Self-leveling concrete just kind of oozes out until everything is flat. This is the idea of shalom. It starts in one place and just kind of goes out like self-leveling concrete and fills in the low spots of your life. And it overflows. And so today, how do we have relations with other people? As shalom comes out of our lives, as we find ourselves uh, having peace with God, having peace with ourselves, peace with the family, all until shalom has reached other people. Because here's how Lisa Sharon Harper says it in her book, uh, Very Good Gospel. She says this, no one experiences full shalom until everyone experiences shalom. This is a justice idea. She's right. Shalom is a justice thing. How can we be at peace fully until everyone is at peace? This is justice. But what exactly is justice? Justice has a lot of different terms. It has a lot of different things. It carries with it a lot of baggage that a lot of people have put on it. There's different forms of justice, and right now in our world, we care a lot about justice. Some of the things that we've seen over the past few months, over the past years, over the past decade, over the past few centuries, are signs to us that justice is not running free through the streets. We have a racial divide, where there's problems between races, There's hatred that people carry towards others who don't look the same, whose ethnicity is different, and it's wrong to have that. That's not just. There's hatred among people. There's the entrapment of of millions of people in sex slavery. That's not justice. Those people are being, the slavery is wrong, full stop. They're trapped in it. That's injustice. There's a mistreatment of, uh, and marginalization of people with special needs. That's injustice. There's the injustice of millions of babies being aborted. That's injustice. We can look around the world and point out dozens and dozens of areas where justice fills, or injustice fills our culture. But until recently, many of us haven't been able to turn our eyes from it. Recently, we haven't been able to turn our eyes from it. But for a lot of people, this has been their everyday life. They've been surrounded by injustice and injustice for years, for their entire lifetimes. And now finally, people are coming to the table and saying, hey, this is wrong. And they're like, yeah, where you been? Injustice has been around and it is still around. So how do we find justice? Many of us thought that we were living in shalom, but the real idea of not everyone has shalom, we're not. So let's define some terms of what justice means. When we think of justice, at least in our society today, one of the first things that comes to mind is a social justice, which is defined as this. We will have it on the screen, I think. Yes. Social justice. Justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. This is what many of us think of when we come to justice. This term, we're going to get historical here, okay? We're going to get nerdy. Hopefully it'll make sense. This term came around in the 1840s when a man named Luigi Topparelli de Azzel... It's Italian and I'm not. De Azzelio, does that not make you want to go to Italy? His name's Luigi. 
That's awesome. Okay. He was a Jesuit. He was studying and applying the works of a man named Thomas Aquinas. He used this term for justice to be applied to the arrangements in a society. And his study from, his, from where he was would end up uh, influencing the entire Catholic Church. In fact, the catechism of the Catholic Church, which is their memorization of their beliefs, this is what we believe as a church, says this about social justice. They used his definition. Society ensues, ensures social justice when it provides the conditions that allow associations or individuals to obtain what is their due according to their nature and their vocation. Social justice is linked to the common good and exercise of authority. This is social justice. This is what we all go, yes, that's social justice. And then 130 years later, a man named Tom John, John Rawls came along and he used this term social justice, took it away from the church because John Rawls wasn't a Christian, and he started applying it to politics and changing of the social institutions. Because of this term, because it's taken so many different ways and, and so many different connotations throughout history, it's been applied to political parties. It's been applied to agendas. The idea of social justice now has become something that's kind of difficult to understand. It's been watered down so much that now if you say social justice, what you really mean is you're doing good stuff that no one should argue with, right? And if you argue with it, something's wrong with you. This is what we think of when it comes to social justice, Social justice, however, is different from justice. Justice and social justice are trying to achieve the same thing, but they're different from each other. This is what justice means according to the dictionary. The quality of being fair and reasonable. It's the administration of the law or authority in maintaining this justice. So we're defining terms today. Justice was first defined by the Byzantine uh, emperor named Justinian. He defined it as this. This is justice. The set and constant purpose which gives every person their due. It is the baseline. This is what we call right and fair. One Christian philosopher uh, said this. He said uh, justice, this is Gideon Strauss, says this. Good justice is when all God's creatures... Receive what is their due and contribute out of their uniqueness to the common existence. He also said that there are two streams of justice that we should pay attention to. Public justice and social justice. Public justice is the political aspect of justice. The work of the citizens and politicians to shape policy for the common good. A speed limit, though we do not like them, is... Some of you obey them. Some of us don't. A speed limit is this idea of a public justice. We're all agreeing that for the common good, let's not go 80 down a, a residential street, okay? That's a good idea? Okay, let's call that justice. Let's all agree that it's not right to kill somebody, okay? That's public and political justice. This is the norm that we're going to live by. Social justice, according to Gideon Strauss, is its counterpart. It's the work of the common citizen to promote justice. These are all good. All Both of these are great. But with all these terms floating around of what justice might be, do you see how it can get a little clouded? What exactly is justice? 
So when we look at justice, we need to be reminded of where justice comes from. And it goes back to that phrase in Genesis 1.27, the image of God on your heart. This is where justice begins. Because that is the level playing field that we need to get back to. The image of God on you, on you, on you, on you, on every one of you is where justice is born. Then what happened in Genesis 3? Things were broken. The first things you see in Genesis 4 is Adam placing himself above Eve. And now there's a hierarchy. And now the hierarchy keeps going and going. And then the image of God starts to be ignored. And then this is a product of the fall. And then you have injustice. And a short time later, you have a brother killing a brother. And then you have someone else in Genesis 6 bragging that he killed hundreds of people. And then Genesis 6, God says, this world has kind of gotten out of control. Justice is not happening. And so God decides, or God in his plan, to bring about the reality of shalom, starts to rebuild, and he calls a man named Abraham. And Abraham leads down the line, and we went through his family last week, but then there's this man named Moses, who takes the people of Israel out of Egypt. And as they're standing out of Egypt, they come down to this place called Sinai on their way out. And this is where we, the form of biblical justice begins to be written down. At the foot of Sinai, God gives a code, a, a, a way that they are supposed to live with one another in order that this image of God is cared for, in order that this image of God is, is cultivated in every single person. God gives what's called the law. It's the book of Leviticus for all of everyone that's a little scared. He gives the law of how we're supposed to relate with each other. This is how justice happens in the camp of Israel. This is what happens. So God sets up festivals and worship practices and, and that enable people both to have a relationship with him and then have a relationship with other people. Their covenant that they made that day becomes the baseline of how they were supposed to relate. Leviticus 19.15 says this, Leviticus, it's a beautiful book. Y'all should read it sometimes and be really confused and then read it again. And then you start to see that this, it's a special book because God is calling his people saying, you want to have a relationship with me? Here's how. And then out of your relationship with me, you're going to have a relationship with others. And so uh, God sets up courts in Leviticus 19.15. It says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So he sets up this court and says, look, there's people who are being trampled on. There's people who are being mistreated. Stop it. That's not justice. Don't pervert justice. All of this was meant to, per meant to protect the vulnerable, to keep watch over the widow, to keep watch over the orphan, to take care of the poor and the immigrant. It showed that they were supposed to lend money with people without charging interest and to pay laborers their full wage. This type of justice wasn't retrib retributive. It wasn't distributive. Instead, this was a substantive justice, which meant that this justice was spelling out how humans were supposed to live like. Justice always calls people back to a standard. 
And this is the standard that God set out for them. Justice has a foundation that's found in God. There are two words that are commonly used in the Old Testament when it comes to justice, and they're used both times in this verse. The word mishpat, it's that one. You know you want to say it. Go ahead and say it. Mishpat. Dylan said Mrs. Potts as if in Iron Man or the Marvel thing, and it's almost that. Mishpat. Uh, it means this, it, it's the, in, in this Leviticus phrase, it's the phrase, do not pervert justice. It's used over 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Its basic meaning is to treat people equitably. It also means to give people their rights. In most of its usages, it says give people what they're due, whether it's punishment or protection. Sometimes justice is punishment. That's something that we don't really like much, but justice means punishment as well. The other, fra- the other word that's here present is the word sedek. You want to say that one too? Go ahead. Sedek. Some might say sedekah, which is another derivative of the Hebrew. Zedekah or sedek means this. In this passage, it means fairly. It's used 116 times in the scripture, and it means right, righteous, fair, equitable. This is the day-to-day living which a person conducts their relationships in family and in fairness, in generosity, or in equity. These words are the guiding words for justice when it comes to the Old Testament. These words are the words that guide what, is, what, it, what justice means, but there's also two metaphors that, that recall what justice is in the Old Testament. The first one is water. When someone talks about justice, there's, there's this sense of water. In Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, it says this. So if you will faithfully obey the commands, the law, the covenant, it means if you stay to the covenant, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart as well as your soul, then I will send rain upon your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in new grain and new wine and olive oil. So when the covenant is upheld, when they live up to their end of the bargain, God will send rain and everyone enjoys this blessing. So your covenant with God is good. You get the crops, you get the food, you have a big party, everyone's happy. In Isaiah 58, 11, at the end of it says, when you obey the covenant, Isaiah is telling the people of Israel, you haven't obeyed the covenant. When you obey the covenant, he says in 58, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. It's this idea of refreshment, nourishment, care. And to a society that was based on farming, water is essential. The other metaphor that comes along with justice in the scriptures is this idea of rest. In Leviticus, you can read all through the rules and regulations, and then you'll start seeing things that come up, like once a week you're supposed to take a Sabbath. It's the day where no one works. Everyone in your Israelite household take the day off, including the animals. Your animals get to roam freely. Nobody works on the Sabbath day. Every seven years, it says this in Leviticus, the entire Israelite economy was to rest. No planting, no harvesting. The agriculture workers got the year off. During this time, anyone could come into a field that was owned by whoever and pick the food that they needed. This was rest. How would you all like a year off? That's, and you got paid and your, everything was taken care of. This is very restful. Then... The 50th year was called the year of Jubilee. This never happened in the Old Testament. The the Hebrew people never got to this. 
the 50th year, so seven Sabbaths, seven Sabbath years. Is that how it works? Yeah. 50th year later, this was called the year of Jubilee. It's where there was this debts were canceled. If your family got into some financial trouble and you had to sell your land 50 years later, you got it back. Your student loans were canceled. Everything was put out to zero. Poverty was erased. So Moses, before he dies, says, look, if you obey these commands and you follow justice, it'll be water for your soul and rest for your people. Deuteronomy 16.20 says this, follow justice and justice alone. And he's not talking about court's justice. He's saying follow the law. This is the right way to live. Justice is a standard. This is the standard so that you may live and possess the land that God has given you. Moses is saying follow justice. Remember what you've been called to. The law, the image of God, this is the baseline for justice. The prophets pick up on this. Amos says this in in Amos 3, 7. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and they deny justice for the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl so to profane my holy name. The prophets tee off on Israel for their sheer fact of not obeying the Torah. But what do they call it? Injustice. Amos 5 says, hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. In verse 24 of chapter 5, he says this, let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Martin Luther King quoted that verse often. They're saying, let justice obey what you've been called to. Obey the standard. And the prophets over and over again call Israel back to the standard. Because this was, call was to practice justice. It wasn't this brand new idea that they had to learn. It wasn't based on some theory or political stance. Justice was known in the covenant. And every person in Israel knew what the covenant was and knew what was expected of them. Remember, justice needs a baseline. And these calls to justice were calling people to return to the foot of Sinai. In Micah, Micah is probably the most famous justice verse that we all know. Micah 6 8. Micah 6 8 has a lead up though. Micah 6 begins with this My people, what have I done to you? This is God speaking to them. Have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brothers and sister. God is then reminding the people of Israel through Micah, look, I've lived up to my end of the covenant. I've brought you into land. I've taken you out of Egypt. I've done my side. And then Micah 6, 8 comes. And the the question that's being asked of Micah is this, how do we walk with God? And this is how Micah answers. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. There's a progression here, and we all look at it this way. Well, in order to walk with God, we need to act justly. Uh, And that's the word mishpat. Uh, we just went over that one. We need to act justly. We need to love mercy, which is the Hebrew word has said, which means goodness and kindness or, or mercy. We need to love mercy and then we'll walk humbly with God. But there's a reverse order to this. 
Sometimes you can't start with acting justly. If you do that, then what's your compass? The first step to acting justly and loving mercy begins at the end. Walk with God. And then as you walk with God, because you have tied yourself together with the standard of justice, what happens? Self-leveling concrete. You walk with God. Shalom's been made. It starts to ooze out. Then what happens? All of a sudden, you start seeing people as God sees people. You've walked with God. Wow. I really love mercy. It's great. What's that come from? A humble walk with God. And then you start to love mercy. And mercy is just looking out for the common good for people around you. Being kind. As you be kind and as you are kind to your neighbor and loving mercy, what comes along then? You start acting justly. Do you see how this works? It's a progression and it's in reverse. It's one of those little things that keeps circling over. Walk with God, fall in love with mercy. Walk with God, fall in love with mercy. You will act justly. It all begins, though, with what? Walking with God. Micah is calling the people of Israel back to the standard. Walk with your Lord. This is where mercy and justice begins. It's a progression. Justice, in any shape or form, finds its source in the relationship with God. What is good what is right, what is moral, isn't based on a critical theory or political party or a president or whoever's in office or whoever's the mayor or city council. That's not the basis of true justice. True justice begins with God. And what God says is right. And what's right? Made in the image of God. All of you. That's where we begin. And until we, can see, we, until we see our fellow human as made in the image of God first, we won't have justice. Justice begins with God. The baseline for any form of justice should start with this, relationship with God. You want to seek justice? Find the author of justice. You want to know what justice is? Pursue the source, the one who's created justice. Go to the source. How many of you have ever played the telephone game? Remember that game? It was awesome. We can all raise our hands. We like it. We like interaction. So it starts over here, and you whisper to somebody, the bald eagle flies at noon. Bald eagles are the best, okay? And then it goes to this next person, and they put their spin on it, right? The bald eagle takes off from the tree around 1145, but really doesn't start flying until noon. And then it keeps going and going, and then it gets all the way down here. The pesky sparrow hobbled on the ground for three hours and then decided to flap its wings and poop on my car. How did it start? The bald eagle flies at noon. And then along the line, it gets watered down until you're left with something that might resemble a bird flying, but there's so many things attached to it. Justice is the same way. Justice is good. The pursuit of justice is good. Fighting for rights for people is good. Don't mishear me. That stuff is awesome. But where does it begin? The source. The source of it. Don't fall on other people's opinion of what justice might be. Go to the author of justice. He'll tell you what justice is. 
It's like water for your soul. It's rest for your spirit. Those are the metaphors in Scripture in the Old Testament. Does anyone know what, what, uh, what metaphors Jesus used for himself? In John 4, he talks to the woman at the well, and what's he say? I'm living what? Water. I'm water. I'm refreshing you. Later on, he says in Matthew 11, your soul is weary. Come to me and find, thank you, Bev, find rest. Galatians 4 says it this way. It'll be on the screen. Galatians 3.24, rather, says this way. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. All of the things that Moses wrote down on how we relate with each other in regards to justice all pointed to what? Jesus. Jesus is the picture of justice for us. A pursuit of Jesus, a pursuit of God will land you in what is now, what should be justice. If you want to find justice, go to the source. If you want to find justice, get close to Jesus. Walk humbly with your Lord. There you will find water, there you will find rest. There you will find his kingdom where justice flows like water and we have rest for our souls. Then we'll have shalom. It means that we work for it. It means that when we see somebody who's experiencing an injustice, we follow the Holy Spirit's lead and we do our best to make something right. The ancient Hebrews called this tikkun olam. It was to mend the brokenness of relationships. Olam is the word for eternity. Tikkun is the idea of mending. To mend the brokenness of eternity. To bring shalom to everybody else. This is our calling. You've experienced shalom. You've experienced God making you right. Now that this relationship is taken care of between you and God, you take care of this relationship because now you know the source of justice. You know the source of fairness. So when you look around at your neighbor and you see something happening to them and you go, that's not fair. God goes, I know. Fix it. Do what you can to break out your sewing needle and mend it. Do what you can to bring justice but don't pursue justice without pursuing God first. Would you pray with me? Father, you are the author of justice. You are the author of salvation. In you, we find wholeness. In you, we find refreshment. In you, we find rest. And not just rest for a night, but rest for our souls, rest for our spirits, rest for our bodies. God, we were made in the image of you. Every single one of us. Even the people we don't like, made in the image of you. Lord, would you give us eyes to see? Not, not just eyes, but would you give us your eyes to see the people around us as your image? And our charge to care for them to pursue their wholeness, to pursue their rest, to pursue their peace, to pursue their refreshment. May we follow your spirit and how you lead. Not an idea, not another person, but may we follow you, the source of justice, to bring justice. 
It's in your name we pray.